Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with a red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skuzgauspo. What? It's that kind of week. (laughs) It's that kind of week. I don't know. I I, I wonder where you're going with that. I I, I completely missing the bit. Somebody put a question mark in the teleprompter. Oh, okay. There you go. There you go. And and my, my brain is too catastrophically fried and to- and and traumatized from last we, saturday we showed have, like, up people up we it. showed up here we are we're all recording <laughs> well and and you know b- before we get into all that i just want to start off in saying how great it was for everyone who came by it for, for yeah. our homecoming tailgate scuzz for you to be there uh for our buddy chris to come up from memphis area um everyone else who who came by said hi it was a real pleasure to chat with everyone before the game, chat with people after the game. Um, just, you know, that's what homecoming is about is, you know, was it, was the football good? Absolutely not. Um, but was it really great to see people that we haven't seen in a long time? Absolutely. Yeah, it was awesome. We got to say hi to Joe Spivak before the pot, before the, the tailgate. Um, we made some, uh, we made some good grub. We had the we had the numblums in town. Uh, Num Tenor was representing at the tailgate as they always do at homecoming. Um, it was yeah, it was fantastic. It was it was a, it was a beautiful day, a beautiful atmosphere. Um, I actually I was quite I was quite impressed at the the purple crowd that showed up. Um, yeah, that's another that's I, another thing. Like I was expecting way more red than actually showed up. Yes, I was too, and I thought um, the fans came out and. Uh, you know, we spent time with each other, which is what we have going for us right now. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, and it's like a, a rough transition, but it's like the amount of red that was in the stands shows you the relative quality of this Wisconsin team this year and where they are as a program. And that just magnifies everything that happened on the field. Uh, so, yeah, um, we're going to get started just talking about the game uh, itself, you know, for what what we can, I mean, it was just a, a brutal, brutal uh, game. Forty-two I mean, to seven. I, like, it it was a brutal game, but let's not forget, like we lost to Wisconsin thirty-five-seven last year. Yeah, like this is this is not an abnormal result, and like, let me. That's that's not really how I want, what I wanted to say there. Like, this is not a um, this is a shitty result. I'm not trying to like sugarcoat this in any way, shape, or form, but like. The game in a microcosm is not like the problem, right? That we're going to get to later, but we do think there's some, some stuff worth talking about here. But I also don't want to like, it's not like we lost, you know, 95 to nothing, even though it, at points it may have felt that way. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm still tasting the poop, even though you sugarcoated it for me. I, I can't lie. It's, uh, the, the, I, it, it was, so I know, Scuzz, we were talking a little bit about this relative to, Wisconsin's offense versus our defense and I think there are two things at play right and I think I'll let you lead with your piece of it first which is that I think Wisconsin you know it kind of came out after the game and some of the discourse after the game right that Wisconsin made changes that started with changes in the coaching staff but that led to changes in what we saw on the field from the Wisconsin offense. Yeah, this was from an athletic article that um, I read earlier today, and and 
in, in part, like there, there's, you know, two things that, that I said, or we said last week that we got like, that did, did not pan out uh, in this game. One was um, the, the changing quarterback, not, not doing anything for results. We'll get to that later. Um, but the other was, you know, with Jim Leonard taking over, the head coaching position. This is a, you know, a defensive player who's been a defensive coach an excellent defensive coach. And I think I made the comment, like, I don't expect, you know, Jim Limmer to just, you know, kind of magically fix the offense in, in one week, especially he's got a first year offensive coordinator, um, uh, whose name is escaping me right now. Uh, but as a former wide receiver Ingram. with, with the, thank you, Bobby Ingram played with the, with the Mariners for a long time. Um, but uh, this article was pointing out a number of things that Leonard pressed from the moment he was announced as head coach. The, you know, they moved Ingram down to the sideline instead of uh, up in the booth because they felt like they had communication issues. Um, that, that that was uh, one way to help correct some of those things. And then um, they wanted to be a lot more aggressive and particularly to the perimeter. They wanted to test uh, our, our speed of our um, – Linebackers getting up to the perimeter and, and passing concepts, they felt like they could give um, Mertz uh, some some completable passes while we're getting him out of the pocket and away from pressure. These are the things that he he's struggled with uh, all year. They were able to, you know, you saw in that first drive, he he was all over the the show. But as the game went on, they got him in rhythm. This is a classic example of. Uh, of getting a quarterback some looks that he can complete and building on that throughout the course of the game. And then they were, they were aggressive with the way they used um, uh, their, their receivers uh, number 13 in particular. Um, uh, Shamir Dyke. Uh, Kamir Dyke. Yep. Um, was, was like a revelation uh, and we could do, we could do nothing uh, to, to slow or stop him. They were super effective with the RPO. So, I mean, like they watched tape Northwestern's defense, um, you know, in that and we saw in that Penn State in the Penn State game, we were going to sell out against the run. We saw Miami of Ohio take advantage of our defense with some really, really um, uh, intense bites uh, against the against the run on play action. And I think some of that is probably because our our defense has to play run first. Some of that's coaching. It like like you're coaching guys to react that way um, or, or not coaching them to not react that way. So wh whatever the case may be is they, they uh, saw some things they really liked on film. They put together a game plan that was a departure from the way their offense has operated the last three or four games. They found a way to get Mertz in rhythm and to make things work for him. And so like, yes, like this offense has been a problem for Wisconsin. Their, their fan base is not thrilled, but um their head coach made specific tactical changes that had a specific impact on the game. And, and, and yes, like the, the elephant in the room here is, Oh, well did, could they just do all that? Cause our defense is crap. Well, so, like certainly there's a factor I'm, there. I'm feeding him peanuts over here in the corner as we speak. Yeah. But like, certainly there's a factor here, but like, let's be like, Graham Mertz was accurate in the second half of that game. Now, like we couldn't pressure him. So like, yes, these things are somewhat related, but, the, but it's not, it's not all of one or all of the other. I think, so I think the, the most important piece to take out of it, right, is that Wisconsin immediately, Jim Leonard came in and was immediately like, there are changes that I want to make that I think are going to make yep. things better. And for one week, at least they absolutely did. And then again, there is that whole other piece, right? Where, I mean, this was Graham Mertz's probably best game of his career. 
I mean, the, the one to put up against it is that infamous Illinois game that we've always joked yeah. about that started, yeah. <laughs> right? And then he went out into the desert for years and then came back here throwing five TDs, right? Um, but Well, let's not just his like also Braylon Allen's best running game. Well, um, and that so that's another huge piece of it. the year for the most part, minus the Ohio State game, which he right. was pretty good. Right, and as a team, right, they rushed for 193 yards, 5.1 a carry, <clears throat> and that was a huge piece of it. And that's where it's again, it's like even Wisconsin, they're gonna have to wait a couple games after this to calibrate against defenses that are way better than our defense to know kind of where they really are. But you're right. I mean, that is they adjusted, and that is a piece of it. The other piece of it, though, and and this is what you talked about, is we kind of outlined, right, last week, we outlined, okay, this is the defense Northwestern's going to have to play if we want to stay in this game. And we came into this game, and I think you saw a couple of things. So one, Northwestern went with that defense. They went as, as best as they can. That first drive, we saw exactly what we were talking about, right? We saw, all right, they're going to be like, look, it's going to be Graham Mertz has got to have to be the one that beats us. We're, you know, we're going to trust it was really windy, right? And he was spraying passes on the first drive, and we were like, all right, so we've got a plan, right? And then that 99-yard drive happened. And on that 99-yard drive, two things became really clear. One, Wisconsin was going to be able to run the ball. One of the things that showed up for me the first time in this game that we hadn't really seen, so we've talked going all the way back to the Duke game, that teams are just manhandling us at the line of scrimmage, and that allows things to play out, right? One of the main things is, when you're blowing, you can be straightforward blowing holes in the line of scrimmage that teams are taking advantage of on drives or creating holes where like guys can run, you know, on zone blocking schemes, guys can find these massive cutback lanes because the linemen are just getting pushed all over the place. But the other big piece, and we talked about this as far back as Duke, is when you have that kind of domination by non-pulling linemen, it makes the pulls so easy for the linemen who are pulling. And the first thing you saw in this game is Wisconsin still has guys in that classic Wisconsin mold that if they get ahead of steam on a pull, they can manhandle linebackers. And that's what we saw really for the first time this season at a level that we haven't seen. To the extent that we've had problems with a linebacker core that at the end of the day, considering what they're working with in front of them has been okay, this is the the game where you saw guys just Wisconsin guards, 74 for Wisconsin, was working that right to left pull and getting into that hole and just blowing holes in our second level. And they were already making big, you know, blowing holes at the line of scrimmage. That was a huge problem. But what it led to was a very predictable thing because it's funny, we just posted this last week, right? That great NFL Live segment where Ryan Clark and Marcus Spears, right? And Dan Orlovsky are all having that big discussion. And one of the big things was Clark talked about when a quarterback's under center and play action and how hard it is to read when elephants on parade are happening. You've got a bunch of big guys moving to the right or moving to the left, and you can't tell if it's a moving line, if it's a line shifting to run block or if they're in pass pro. And the play that we got cooked for Wisconsin's first first touchdown was exactly that. You're going to look and you say, oh my God, Cam Mitchell was so out of position. If you watch the play five or six times, our entire defense doesn't know it's a pass until the ball's already in the air because they pull 74 on the play. So they've already been blowing a hole in us on this play running the ball. They pull 74 again. Our guys are going, here it comes again. They all come up and they get cooked over the top. 
it just is the problem. And I think your I think the other the other piece of it too is even after you see something like that happen, the kind of takeaway is look, that's still the best personnel package we can put on the field right now. It's probably been the best personnel package, roughly speaking, since the start of the season. If you watched this game, and especially if you've watched the highlights, one thing you know is regardless of the success or failure of our quote-unquote heavy package, the one that has Grayson Metz in at the star position, really at the linebacker position, and then Rod Hurd, who, you know, we're crossing our fingers that he comes back next week. We know he left this game. Rod Hurd back at safety, or else you have to put someone else at that position. Um, that is our best package. The four-two-five with single high safety is a non-working defense with our current personnel. This game could not have made that any more plain. Wisconsin treated our single high safety as if it was cover zero. They treated that safety as if it did not exist. They just ran slants and crossing patterns and deep balls and whatever they wanted. They just acted like we didn't have a safety back there. And for all intents and purposes, based on the results on the field, we didn't. Um, It's a non-working defense. It just with the personnel that we have available to us right now, putting a defensive back at that star position and going single safety high and trying to make that work with extra man coverage, Wisconsin just blew a hole in us. And they are light years from the best passing attack we're going to see this season. Um, so, I mean, it's like you're kind of in a position where you have to you have to take that heavy look. And then I think the one missing piece of it, and this is the piece that Scuzz kind of alluded to, is that like we also have the least creative blitz packages and pressure packages in the entire Big Ten. So, I mean, we do. It just is. I'm laughing because of how you laid that out, which is like, that's the right way to say it. It's just, it's so predictable. Yeah. And um, I I mean, and that's, and that's what it is, right? So, I mean, it's like Wisconsin knows here's four defensive, here's four defensive linemen. If we bring a fifth and it's always only five, if it's five at all, it's going to be one of the three linebackers and they're just going to blitz from the exact spot they're standing in the field into the gap that's closest to the field. Right. I mean, did Mertz even get touched? Um, I don't think no, so. No, he didn't. Yeah. He didn't get. So you, I mean, and he was like having a tea party back there on a couple of plays. And this is like Graham Mertz is not exactly like Tom Brady in terms of pocket presence. And he was just, there was hanging. the one the, there was the one play where, um, was, I think it was a pretty big third down and McLaughlin, like, Oh, like got a paw on him and and mm-hmm. but almost almost over pursued or went like went right past him and then Mertz completed a big pass and, right and I mean I um, think so you look at that and, and basically where I'm going with with all this is this there's no great solution here we said that last week there's no great solution the best personnel we have available to us by far is our base four three and the only chance of really success going forward. It's the 4-2-5, I can't stress this high enough. The 4-2-5 single safety high with the available personnel we have to us right now is a non-working defense. I don't care. I don't care if Maryland comes out with some sort of crazy spread package. I don't know what to tell you. They can run or pass against that defense. It doesn't matter. The only- Well, that's, that, just, just to like make sure we're being clear about what that is. Yeah. That is the Jim O'Neill star alignment that we opened- 
the 2021 season with against Michigan State, correct? Yeah. I mean, it's basically that. And I think we've been trying. I mean, I think the goal is, right, put more DBs on the field so you can man coverage. You have the single safety over the top. I'm just telling you, like, personnel we have right now, that single safety is is doing nothing. I mean, I there are five highlights I could direct you to in this game where they just, Wisconsin's just like, I'm treating this as if it's just single man coverage. You're going to try to catch a guy in stride. If he's caught in stride, he's beating the safety the same way he's beating the cornerback. That happened many times in this game. That's where Wisconsin's 299 pass yards came from. Um, the the move is to go to that base package, um, the package that gives us the only prayer of success against the run. And no, we didn't tackle particularly well in this game. Yeah, that that was that was that was a big problem. Like tackling continues to be just confounding. The, I mean, like Braylon Allen break, breaks tackles, but like pretty much every run that he or Ches Blusey had, like somebody got like legitimate contact on them at the line of scrimmage and they just went right through it. And then it'd be like a second one and a third one. And, and again, like that's, that's coaching. Right. I'm just, it, and so it's like, I'm not saying I have a miracle fix here. I'm saying the only defensive package we have right now with the personnel we have to work with right now that works some of the time, like for example, maybe would work against Iowa in a situation where we got one more big 10 win this year is that base 4-3 package. Praying to God it has Rod Hurd back at safety. We're knocking wood furiously that he's all right, but we don't know. Um, and it's it's that with absolute lunatic pressure packages that you change up all the time and just, like a crazy person, dial up pressure. And, like, there's, I don't think, I think, I don't think I have to, I'm exactly reinventing the wheel here to say that I think we all know we're not getting that from our current defensive coordinator. That will not be something he will ever do. Um, So this is not a situation. This is a mutually exclusive scenario relative to Jim O'Neill is what I'm saying here. But that's the only path forward. And I think what you had in this game was eventually Wisconsin being like, one of their two packages, we can literally do anything we want. The other package, we have slightly less success, but we know anytime we want to throw, they're only going to bring four. Graham Mertz can just hang out back there forever. He'll find someone open eventually, or we can crush them on play action. I mean, it's and this is where we are. Before, before we get to the coaching of it all, um, we should talk about the offense. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, well, I, I mean, just one of the th- yeah. there's just one other thing I want to throw about the defense, and that's, you know, Wisconsin had a, had a good day running the ball. Um, I want to point out, like, this is where the construction of the team is also a problem. And um, I think, you know, we've talked a bit about Jason Gold and uh, Jordan Butler, injuries that they've had on the defensive line. We've brought in Tayshawn Holmes um, as a transfer DT. I think at least two of those three guys I saw at some point got nicked up um, it was this rough. past weekend. Um, Tara Edwards was a, Massive recruit who left the program after last year. We are hurting without him on the field. He is playing pretty damn well for Illinois right now, which uh, stings the nostrils extra. But um, that's you know that that is where the construction of this team has, um, I think, amplified some of the schematic problems. And so I just I want I want just want to say that because we know it's you know there are multiple factors going on here. But like you have to go all the way back to 2016. Um, to find a time that that Wisconsin ran the ball in Northwestern 
uh, like they did last year and like they did this year. And I point that out because, you know, Fitz made that comment where we're built to be, you know, we're built for the line of scrimmage. That, that, is, that is how Northwestern has been constructed and has been operated for 10 years now with the express design to stop Iowa and Wisconsin from running the ball. And, you know, famously, Jonathan Taylor struggled a lot against Northwestern in his career at Wisconsin. Um, cause you, you, you go back to that 2016 game. Yeah. Wisconsin ran for 190 yards, but they averaged 3.3 per carry. And that, that mode of defense, um, through combination of team construction, bad luck with injuries and abysmal defensive coaching has gone by the wayside in the last 18 months. Yeah. And I, and again, just to reinforce, like the only prayer of defensive success going forward would be a scenario where we're rolling out base four, three and the opposing team has no idea how many guys are coming or from where on any particular down. And, I mean, I'm, I'm just telling you that's what it would have to be. We won't see that. Jim O'Neill won't do that. He's we're Most likely, a, a week and a half from now, if Jim O'Neill is our defensive coordinator, we're going to trot out the same two defensive packages you saw this game against an NFL quarterback and a bunch of NFL wide receivers and running backs at Maryland, and you're going to see carnage. That's what yeah. we're looking at. So, I mean, to to be to be fair, I just want to play this brief. Like, let's pretend Mike Hankowitz were still here. We saw he was on the field on Saturday. They called his name. I wanted to beg him <laughs> to stay. Um but let's say Mike Hankowitz was here because he, he, what he would do, he would not bring a ton of crazy pressure pressure packages. He'd play base 4-3, uh, but he'd use a quarters coverage on the back end. Um, and he would basically try to keep everything in front of them and try like hope that the offense would short circuit or make a mistake. But they wouldn't – they'd be doing their damn just to not give up these big plays uh, and then to really knuckle down in the, in the red zone and turn touchdowns. Uh, six passing touchdowns that Wisconsin scored into field goals. Like, is that like? Yeah, I mean, I guess. Do you disagree I mean, with that? I, I with 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 the, with the occasional like drop of a defensive lineman. Like that. Like there was interesting stuff. We, we talked about the classic Hankowitz all the time, right? Where he would he would drop a defensive line into in, a di- defensive lineman to uh to try and engineer a pick or something like. He would do he would do creative things, but he wouldn't have brought like crazy pressure. Well, I don't know. I mean, honestly, like. Mike Hankowitz was incredibly good at his job, and I'm going to give I, him John, the benefit I, I, of the- I, I don't want to – like, we were going to talk about the coaching. I want to talk about the offense before we get – we're going to come back to talking about the coaching. And sure. I know we have go. a lot to talk about that. Let's go uh, over the before, offense. Before we do that, let, we we got to talk about the offense. Um, you know, obviously, the biggest story is at quarterback. I mean, you know, after Helinski had, uh, you know – bad bad interception um you know we were watching on the sidelines and saw Brandon Sullivan like getting up and throwing not just throwing to sort of you know loosen up but like throwing with a purpose and you know we all looked at each other and said wait a sec this looks like he's going in and then all, all of a sudden the next series uh Brandon Sullivan is in at QB um you know, Helensky came back in to run the two-minute offense, which, you know, re- again, resulted in no points. But, uh, you know, th- coming out of the second half, Helensky gets hurt, um, you know, throwing the interception deep in the red zone. Um, I still am triggered by interceptions deep in the red zone from the Broncos game last Thursday, but that's neither here nor there. Um, and then, you know, 
Helinski gets hurt. We have no idea the extent of that injury. Uh, Sullivan comes in, actually looked better uh, than he did earlier on. Um, but still, you know, the offense just wasn't clicking. Yeah, I mean, I so I think the Helinski piece of it, and and again, first of all, hope you know prayers and hopes for his health obviously we saw him hit the deck we don't know if it was a head injury or what else it was we don't know what the situation is we don't know if he's healthy uh you know or or we don't know if he'll be available to play next week I hope he comes back I hope he's able to be on the roster the rest of the season obviously we want nothing but the best for him health-wise and for him to come back as soon as possible I would say we stepped into the Brendan Sullivan era the same at the moment that second interception hit that cornerback's chest um I think Brendan Sullivan was by no means perfect in this game he had some issues in the first half I mean again you're coming in against a Jim Leonard pressure package having never played college football I think all things being equal 114 yards a touchdown and no picks like you know for that being your first game experience I think was was pretty good but yeah with Helinski we've talked about right like he can make all the throws. We saw a couple. We saw that throw to Bryce Kurtz in this game, right? Where just an unbelievable throw where you're like, this guy uncorks these passes that are so good and he can find a guy. The decision-making, though. And I think one thing that's been clear is the last two weeks, the quality of defenses has gone way up in terms of the secondary and the level of guys in the secondary and the kind of mistakes that he's made this far in the season the quality of cornerbacks has gone way up and these guys are, are feasting on his decisions right now. And I think that's that was kind of the, the end of the line kind of situation. And I think, again, you know, we'll get into whatever. The, the, whatever Fitz, Fitz says and, you know, whatever Fitz's explanation is for th- when Sullivan came in or why, I don't know that I buy a word of it. I don't like... It's horseshit. I just and don't... I'll tell you why it's, yeah. I'll tell you why it's horseshit. Because again, like... The moment they came off the field with that interception, Sam, you pointed it out instantly. You said, Brandon Sullivan is throwing. Right. And with a purpose, if Brandon Sullivan was coming in the game on the third offensive series to like get in to the game. He'd have been throwing. He'd have been throwing. It would not have had that kind of urgency. I mean, like, I, like I'm sorry. It's just garbage now we can come back to that but like but like here's the other thing i want to i want to layer on with that if you're planning to get brandon sullivan your running qb into the game on the third drive wouldn't you have a better play lined up for him than just like a immediate designed qb run behind peter skaronsky for his first play in the game right wouldn't you do what you did in the second half when you brought him in and you ran RPO and he went straight up the gut, like totally unencumbered for like eight yards, like wouldn't would you have something planned for him as opposed to what looked like total shit show uh, in that first, those first two possessions that he had, the, had the ball. It was like, okay, uh, let's, let's get this guy like some game speed. I mean, let's, and let's say, right. Let's say it's true. Well, by the, most unbelievable of of coincidences. The pass that directly preceded him coming in was the kind of pass that gets just about any quarterback <laughs> yeah. pulled out of the game. Yeah, like yeah. yeah. Uh, the so I think everybody knows on that interception, a ball was forced into double coverage, really two point five coverage um, for an interception. But 
we put we put a picture up on Twitter, and again, I didn't put a lot of context into the into the tweet. But I mean, I think listening to this, a lot of you can go back and examine it. You can just scroll back and see. Evan Hall was he started in the backfield. He flared at to be available underneath. Keep in mind, right at the end of the second half, we had a drive that drove down to what could have been our only points if we didn't miss a chip shot field goal. Right, that entire drive was built off of a quote-unquote screen pass that was really just a 50-something yard catch-and-run by Evan Hall. None of the offensive linemen engaged in the guy. Hall just caught it and made the entire drive happen on his own and got all the way downfield. So you have that guy, who I think we're all quite aware is our best offensive player. Um, He was wide open in the middle of the field, ready for a catch-and-run that who knows how many yards it would have gone to. I mean, he was uncovered in the middle of the field, and Holinsky basically looked through him to a double-covered Malik and through that pass. And, I mean, it's the kind of pass, it's the kind of situation you watch from the booth and you go, okay, Brendan Sullivan. And then my own personal opinion, my own personal theory, again, we don't know. Well, real, real, real quick, there are some other examples of that too where, like, like you're, you're talking about creative blitz packages and, oh, like, like Jim Leonard is the master, I mean, right? Like the genius. But but if you are if you are preparing to play this defense, you have like all the film work that you that you're doing ahead of time is to be like, all right, if the blitz is coming from here, where should I look for the open man? And we re- like North like Helinski Northwestern overall just really really struggled with that on Saturday um, because there were other examples too where even from the stands we could see you know uh, guys guys were open or or had more space than where the ball went to ultimately yeah I mean and and again there was I mean there was other stuff too I mean there were those things but we ran at least one read option where and again this goes we'll talk about the Bajakian piece of this but. Halinski will not keep the ball on a read option. He's just not going to do it. And you watch a play where you see the lineman crash down hard on Hull, and Halinski just gives it to Hull anyway. And then it's kind of like, well, if you know he's going to do that, why are you calling that play? Like, what are you doing? Like, if if you know this is the way it's going to go down, why are you running a play like this, right? But again, it's like regardless, my own personal theory, I mean, is that doubling down on our point of like this was not prearranged I think Ryan Holinsky was the guy who'd gotten all the two-minute drill reps so then they were in a situation where it's like well now we have to run the two-minute drill so we need Holinsky so they so Holinsky comes back in runs the two-minute drill thanks to a unbelievable individual effort by Evan Hull they get down the field and it's like all right start him in the second half you know but I think regardless I think we are we're going forward with Brendan Sullivan he made a couple nice throws he didn't seem particularly rattled considering the, you know, Nick Herbig, you know, living inside his jersey for a lot of the second <laughs> half. Um, he, you know, he didn't make any crazy mistakes, right? He kept the ball on a read option. They called it a keeper on the broadcast. It was like, nope, that's a read option. He read exactly what was going on, kept it, and took off. Um, you know, he made that great touchdown play, threw a great pass to set it up. Like, it was not amazing, but, you know, I would imagine you're going to look at a performance, that performance he had, and be like, look, we play one mediocre to bad defense the rest of the season, and it's the defense we play a week and a half from now. So if you're looking to get a guy going, that's probably the team, Maryland. 
Yeah, I, th- I, th- I mean, this is the this is the other thing we said last week, where you know, and I, and I made the comment like, look, you can try switching QBs all you want. Like, Brendan Sullivan is not going to give you, you know, an increased ability to throw the ball. What he might do is give you some mobility at the quarterback position, but that doesn't seem like it's the thing that's going to fix uh, our offense right now. And it certainly didn't quote unquote fix the offense. Um, he was the leading rusher. Uh, I think, you know, we'll get, we'll get to the, 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 this issue in the, in the coaching section more, but like, you know, we saw a lot of offense those first two weeks. We were pretty excited about what we had, what we had in Holinsky. We were pretty excited about the weapons we had. Hey, guess what? Teams have watched those two weeks. They know that Evan Hull is probably our best offensive player. They know that we're going to look for him with catch and runs a lot. And so like teams are targeting and limiting Evan Hall. He only had nine carries for 13 yards, four passes for 62 yards. The the aforementioned 45 yarder on that, on that uh, two minute drill drive to end up the, the first half, like a big piece of that. And you have to adjust. Now, if, if Sullivan gives, you know, this team, Another option with his legs, um, uh, part, pardon the pardon the pun, um, to do some different things to adjust a little bit in the latter half of the year. Like that's great. Um, you know, I like we'll we'll have to see how we go. We'll have to see how his decision making looks when he's when he's got a little bit more time. We'll have to see also see if that's the actually the decision they make. I, I mean, the quarterback, you you, I could not make an informed guess of who was going to play QB because anytime I I I I thought. Okay, they're going to go with you know the young guy to give him some reps and to see what can happen. Nope. Um, oh, they're maybe maybe they'll go back to the guy that was really good at throwing the ball. Nope. Um, it just like it was very confounding last year, and it feels like until until we until we see Brandon Sullivan step out as the starting QB against Maryland or Ryan Holinsky, I'm not going to know which way it's going to go. So like I'm gonna I'm gonna hold that in reserve a little bit. But I agree, we saw something from him. Um, it was uh, he was able to move the ball. It was nice to see him get that get that drive. At the same time, like you wonder how um, you wonder how uh, intense the defense he was facing in the second half was, given the twenty eight point lead that Wisconsin had. Well, I, I will say this, and maybe this is like the last kind of piece of this. We, in terms of relative to the defense, now granted, right? I mean, like potentially later on they may have dialed it back a little bit, but you mentioned it earlier. I mean, like. The, the genius of Jim Leonard, right? And I think Sullivan did all right. I mean, he fourth, he was fumbled on that one play. And then there was another play where he, you know, had to throw it away. I mean, he was getting the pressure packages. And I just I just want to stress that I'm not hang, hang, hanging this on the Trench Cats, who have been pretty good in pass pro relative, you know, for most of this year. This is what Wisconsin does. Maybe they're a little bit off this year because they don't have a couple of the linebackers that they had in their crew last year. But these kind of pressure packages are just incredible. I mean, I I put one up on Twitter so that everyone could look at it. That was a four-man pressure package. But it's like you look and it's like, first of all, seven guys show rush on the play. And they're legit faking blitz. Like they're coming up to the line, coming back to the line. You have no idea who's coming. Any of those seven guys could be coming or not coming. And as it happens, they bring three guys and they stunt a linebacker across into a different gap. There's just so much going on. And it looks like it takes a second to develop at first and then suddenly there's a guy living in your backfield. And that's the Wisconsin way. That's what they do. And 
it's it's just that final indignity of like like Jim Leonard cut his teeth under Jim O'Neill in that Rex Ryan Mike Pettin coaching tree and the rest of that tree has always run 3-4 including Jim O'Neill until he got to Northwestern and it's like we all had visions in our eyes of these exact kind of pressure packages. It's like, oh, that 2020 defense, well, we're going to lose some guys, but we are going to be running this system now and bringing all this crazy heat and guys are going to be showing blitz on every play and you're not going to know who's coming or whatever. And it's like a year and a half later, we're watching Wisconsin do it to us while we do absolutely nothing. And it's like, it's the, it's the final indignity in my eyes. All right. So let's get to, let's get to the thing that a lot of people are talking about. Hey, we got we got to hit one more. Yeah. Um, special teams. Uh, what one really rough missed field goal? Zero punt returns, uh, and zero kickoff returns, and some good punting by Luke Akers. Because um, the third phase has been rough too. So I, it, you know. it was the debut of Jack Olson. I mean, he he played. So yeah, I mean, I'm glad he I was mean, able to come back. He he kicked an extra point again. It's like. We don't know what to even say about Jack Olson because we have no – this is that same thing where, again, it's like the kind of thing that it's it, 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 it grates in the best of times. But when Northwestern is piling up losses, this closed door, you won't know anything about anything policy is like nails on a chalkboard to me. So we don't really know what the situation with is with Olson. For all we know, he's got some devastating injury he's been working back from. We have no idea. But with that said, I mean, right, it was good that he got on the field. But I mean, that's like a guy shanks a kick like that. I have no idea. I don't know. Like for all I know, you know, one of his legs doesn't work. We have no idea. So, I mean, again, I'm like, I, I don't even know what to say. But I mean, to your point, right? I mean, it's like Northwestern, what I think it's like Football Outsiders has a metric called FEI that they use to measure special teams. And Northwestern's been horrible by that metric for the last two years. Awful. Last in the Big Ten. I mean, 13th in the Big Ten last year behind only Nebraska. And by the way, Nebraska and Northwestern basically were jockeying for worst kicking team in the country all season. Um, and then this year, we're, we're dead last in the conference. And I think, you know, there are some other metrics, but I think some of the other available metrics are buoyed by one game when Brandon and Joseph had a bunch of punt return yards against an FCS team. And really, aside from that, um, there's, there's really been almost nothing to write home about special teams-wise for two years now. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Simpson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SimpsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation. And go Cats! All right, so with that, let's go ahead and talk about the thing that... Uh, you know, we're seeing a lot of people talking. Um, I, I got to say, since the game, I've seen a lot more vitriol uh, from the fan base uh, on social media towards the coaching staff than, you know, I have in a long time. I mean, it, it's one thing to complain about the coaching staff. It's another, like, to see 
pretty much the entire fan base united in the fact that something needs to change. A change has to be made. And like the fact that we're going into a bye week and you we're seeing this around the country. I mean, yeah, Paul Christ was was fired. I'm not suggesting that, you know, Pat Fitzgerald's gonna be fired today or tomorrow, but like Rutgers fired their offensive coordinator because their offense has been sucking. Our offense yeah, has I, been sucking too. We've been talking about this since the McCall days. Like you want to be a big boy college football program. You want to build an $800 million stadium. You want, you know, your fan base to show up. You, you want them to, to, to support you. You want um, a, uh, a lakefront facility, like, like, like everything that Northwestern Pat Fitzgerald, the ADs have done is in service of Northwestern becoming a continuing to be a big program, right? Well, guess what? Big programs, programs that are serious about this stuff, remove offensive and defensive coordinators from their positions when things are not going well. And Fitz, for better or worse, has for forever, I, 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 I think in his heart of hearts, he just chafes at the at the modern relationship between media and fandom and the way sports teams are run. I think he just chafes at it in a, in a, Hey, listen, like these are people's jobs. These are players injuries. Like these are, you know, we're, we're working hard. We're trying to figure this out. Like, don't ask us about it. We're not going to tell you, we don't want to give anything away. It's just, it's a very old school mentality and it's this batten down the hatches and hunker down and, you know, we're going to get it sorted and you don't need to know the details. You can just show up and cheer for us. That is, just so outdated. It's it's just not how things work now. And um I think that I think it's 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 the combination of those things that has everybody so incensed. Like of course, of course, nobody wants to lose these games the way we've been losing these games. This is gonna be John's got all the math on this, but this is gonna be like the worst four year stretch um since we were in school, uh in in the in the end of the Barnett era and the beginning of the Walker era, which, you know, th- three out of my four years were were god awful. Um but it's it's a like the results on the field are one thing. And I think there's a lot of folks. I mean, like the, the folks on the other side of this argument right now, are like, oh, you know, Fitz has had bad times before. Like, look at 2013, look at 2014, look at 2006 when he took over the program. Like, we, you know, he's he, of, of course, he'll be able to figure this out and turn it around. And um, I think. Like, like, I, that's not necessarily like, I don't know that you're wrong that Fitz can't turn it around. But the thing like the trajectory right now combined with the just willful dismissal of the basic stuff that you see every other college football program undertaking is what's so galling. And I, I, I think it's exacerbated by the fact that they don't like that. They, you know, shut down communication even more. Like yeah. it'd, be, it'd be one thing if it's like, Hey, this is what we're doing. This is how we're going to like, we're going to change it in, you know, maybe you don't want to give away all your secrets. That's fine. But like, say this is how like these are the changes we're going to be making you know we hear you we get it you know we're feeling the same way but you know to every week here we got to coach him up better okay well how i mean you're doing the exact same you're we're seeing the exact same thing every week you keep saying you need to coach him better you're not coaching him better we're not seeing any changes and you're not telling us why there aren't any changes Hey, I didn't play football, but I went to Northwestern. 
I think you know. I I think I could follow what you're what you're saying. Like like, share some details with me, man. Come on, <laughs> hey, Scuzz. You know, just to to give you your own laurels. I feel like like you ha- in another life you were an offensive coordinator, so you're maybe an exception to the rule here. Um, but but to the kind of the 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 point sort of sort of an adjacent point, right? I mean, Sam mentioned vitriol early on. I mean, there certainly is some vitriol, but there's some really smart people in this fan base. And I think vitriol maybe, but there's really just a lot of understanding. Aaron Friedman, you know, so a lot of you have probably seen this on yeah. Twitter by now, wrote a incredibly eloquent open letter to Derek Gregg and Northwestern Athletics about the situation that is not... It's not an angry letter. It's kind of a despondent letter by someone who gets exactly where we are right now and what it means. And that's what one and someone who has someone who has a very realistic expectation of what Northwestern should be, which is like he he says in there, like, I don't I don't expect us to win every game. I don't expect us to win the West every year, but I expect us to be like respectable. I expect to not be embarrassed to be associated with or, or follow this program and I expect not to be, you know, totally dismissed uh, as, you know, as a, as a fan and as a, as a member of the community. Right. I think. And so you have a lot of people and I think it's, it really is. It's everyone understands. It's not being mad. It's everyone knows we have to make coordinator changes. It's an understanding, right? And I think the only thing beyond that is timetable. But, and Scuzz has been on this for a couple of weeks now, you've seen teams that have made those changes. And, you know, to, to against the argument of like, yeah, but if you make the change now, what happens then? And it's like, well, a couple of teams, most recently Wisconsin have told you positive things can happen. Um, Georgia Tech. Right. You're delivering a shock to the Nebraska. System. Right. You're de- yeah, Nebraska. It's you're delivering. Nebraska's got two Big Ten wins since they fired Scott Frost. Yeah, and and Chenander. and it's like you're you're delivering a shock to the system and saying radical change is needed. You need to find it, and you need to find it now. And I'm not saying that works all the time, but I'm saying it's 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 worked in some cases. But regardless, it's a necessary change. I think if Northwestern changed both coordinators tomorrow, no person bats an eyelash. We'd say, well, they. Had yep. to be done. Um, and now, so now is the timetable, right? Because we know at most other schools, certainly Jim O'Neill would be, we'd be gone. He'd have been gone. Um, and well, there's, there's one other like element here. I want to, I want to call out to, and that's Ryan Lindley talked about this. Uh, another, another uh, friend on Twitter and uh, somebody who does, I uh, was, was really involved with um, local high school athletics in, in the Chicago area. Um, he talked about an example, a coach he used to work for or worked for at one point who much like Fitz was, you know, heels dug in everybody telling him, you got to do it differently. You got to change. You got to do something. And just what wasn't, it wasn't willing to do it. Um, I think finally was let go or left, went to a different program. We had success. And then the, the, the staff that they brought into the program he was with ultimately had success. And like, it, it's the idea of a reset Northwestern is in, I mean, like outside of the COVID year, right? It's been three years of just downward trajectory garbage and like a a reset is critical. And if you can do that through the coordinators, great. If, if you need to do something else structural, great. Like I don't, I am not, I'm not going to advocate for, for letting Fitz go right now, but if the embracing of, of some sort of reset or change or adjustment in the way that Northwestern football operates and, and 
and thinks and plans is if he's unwilling to do it then the game like this program is not going to succeed under him and and if that's the case then yes they should move on but i like the the critical thing is that they've they've got to look in the mirror they have to accept and acknowledge the problem first which i think has been a a real issue in the last two seasons there's been a real unwillingness um and maybe it's the comment at the end of 2019 that we've we've brought up before of never again and here we are the second time again um you know maybe it's specifically just you know he he took offense to all the negative reaction to O'Neill last year and and is well you know just just again dug in in this weird loyalty situation but um a, a reset has to occur oh yeah and and something that i wanted to get into tonight that i don't think we've ever particularly talked about i mean one thing that's clear right is at this point i think there were i think since Early last season, people have kind of understood Jim O'Neill wasn't the answer and that drumbeat has just been incredibly loud. And honestly, if we're going to be real, tons of people have been getting at us since the beginning of last season, really. Like as soon as it realized, we realized just how bad the defense was to get on us about how horrible a hire the Jim O'Neill hire was. And honestly, probably because of a little bit of, of the way, you know, we were on the Mick McCall thing so much down the stretch kind of for similar reasons to the situations we're in right now, right? I think we were reticent to be like, I don't want to dive that deep into this right now. Let's let this play out for a little while. Let's see how it was and everything. Truth be told, if we're going to be honest, I think that was a hire that we were like, we were like, oh my God, when it first happened and being like, well, I mean, the three, four, like that's the thing. From the moment we stepped on the field for the first game of last season in a base four, three, we were like, oh my God, what are we doing? And then it's, why, well, yeah, we why, were giving why, up a why? massive run to yeah, Kenneth Walker right. the third. And then, on the and then we were why? like, since that point, we've been like, oh my God, what is this? And something that I wanted to talk about. Well, and, well and specific, specifically, like, 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 what is the rationale behind this? Hire? Oh, well, that's so that, that, that's, that's what well, you, that's what you mean when you say well, that. So specifically, what I don't think we've ever done is, examined the Mike Bajakian hire through the lens of the Jim O'Neill hire. Because oh, that's interesting. Because the Jim O'Neill hire is one of the worst hires you'll ever see a head coach make of a coordinator. It just is. I mean, oh my God. I think we can safely say that now. I think like we're well past the point where like he hired someone with a horrible track record of being a coordinator for multiple pro teams. Um and hired him regardless of the fact that he'd only ever been bad at the job of being a coordinator brought him to a different kind of football a place he hadn't been in a long time college and then threw out the only system he'd ever coached defensively and that's what that was the decision like what what is that and i think we can re-examine it now and plenty of people other than us have and been like you can't really come away from that feeling like it's anything other than personal relationship and pliability. I like this guy. This guy will do the things that I want done within our program, right? So don't you kind of have to re-examine the Bajakian hire through that lens? I mean, Scuzz was going deep back into all the back stuff and looking at like the way that Bajakian threw to tight ends at Tennessee and all of his tendencies and the way he operated as a QB coach. And like, there's a big part of me now that's like, 
Fitz just looked at Bajakian and is like, BC's got big bowling ball running balls, running backs <laughs> that they slam into the line. That's the way I want to operate. He brings Bajakian in and he's like, I get on well with this guy. Let's do it. And that's what they went. I'm not saying that's what we, happened, but I mean, don't we but, but, kind of have to examine the Bajakian hire through the lens of the O'Neill hire? Well, I'm going to give ourselves a little bit of credit because we asked that question of Adam Rittenberg when we talked about the Bajakian hire in December of 2019. And we asked the question, like, because we, we, the three of us and Adam all felt like, yeah, this is a guy that can help really elevate Northwestern's offense, um, br- be multiple, bring a pro mentality, um, you know, do a lot of stuff with tight ends and running backs that can fit the Fitz mold. But the question is going to be, will Pat Fitzgerald change his philosophy around playing like, like, strategizing to play one score games. Will he allow the offense to open things up? And the categorical answer has been no. Right. And so like, John, you're totally right. I like, I like, I think that is, I like, I I will go, I will go one step further. And I've, I've said this before and I think it remains true today. So Fitz has only ever had two offensive coordinators and two defensive coordinators. He's had to fire one of each, but the long stretch, the most successful stretch of his career at Northwestern, what it was a 10 years um, when he had McCall and Hankowitz, uh, 11 years, uh, 2008 through 2019, same two guys, both older coaches, a guy Hankowitz who was stunningly let go by Wisconsin uh, so they could retain their, their hot linebackers coach uh, and, and, and Fitz uh, was able to pick him up, but like a, a stalwart of the industry, a guy who's been respected and successful everywhere he's been. Um, and then Mick McCall, who had been QB coach under Garrick McGee and on Fitz's staff, again, both older guys. You've heard Fitz say it almost that like, I mean, he said it with 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 Hankowitz. I don't know if he said it about with, with McCall, but this was a mentor-mentee relationship. As as the youngest head coach in the Big Ten and in college football for those first few years that he led Northwestern, like Fitz needed guys around him that were going to help him find his footing, and he had that in McCall and he had that in Hankowitz in Spades, and I think like that is certainly part of what made letting McCall go so hard because of that relationship, because of that mentor-mentee relationship, because of the trust fits as a defensive guy had in McCall to be an offensive play caller. And, and, and our, those first, you know, five or six years, it's hard to say that he was bad. Like, we had quibbles, certainly, but they, they got the job done uh, in, in a lot of different ways. But now fast forward to he's hired, to, he's, you know, he, this is the first time he's hired outside of that mentor-mentee relationship. Fitz is the mentor now. And regardless of the age, right, of these guys that have come in, like his job is now to manage and grow and develop and and influence his coordinators. It can it can no longer be a hey, let's the three of us sit down and and develop a brain trust and like you guys have so much wisdom and experience and let's work together. It it has to step from fits in a different way, and I just I don't know that it takes time to get comfortable in that role. And I just don't know that he's comfortable in that role. And I, and, and I think it has certainly in the O'Neill hire, I think it has resulted in a poor choice of who to hire for exactly what you described, John. And I think it could be um, 
certainly a factor on the offensive side, as you said, but I like, I don't know if Fitz really knows how to, he was never a coordinator for an, a head coach. He never lived on the other side of that relationship. And I wonder if, if it's part of the reason that he's struggling to get this right. Yeah. I mean, and, 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 and it, another, another thing that, you know, I've, you know, and we've talked about this is the fact like, you know, we Northwestern has never really had their coaches get poached by other programs. Correct. Right. I mean, like, it happens all like coordinators move around all the time, like position coaches move around all the time. And, you know, for the longest time, like the stability on the Northwestern coaching staff was a point of pride. And that's great. But like, it, it seems like it's gotten to the point. It's like, well, why has no one come calling for any of the Northwestern coaches? Why have no one been trying to poach the Northwestern coaches? So that, the, the that's guys that have red flags. The guys that have gone, Randy Bates is pretty successful as I think he's DC in Pitt now. And then Kevin Johns is having great success yeah. as offensive coordinator at Duke. Um, I don't, Johns, I don't think was a, was, I, he, I can't, I don't, I can't remember when he came to the program. He must've been a Fitz hire given the timing now that I think back on it. But um, regardless, like I think we've heard in the past that um, they're trying to help McPherson, uh, get a head coaching job elsewhere. Um, Jenick is a guy that was a head coach. Jenick was head coach at Eastern Michigan. He was let go by Derek Craig at Eastern Michigan. Um, and frankly should be rolled right into the whole conversation we're having with, uh, about O'Neill and Bajaki and given, given the way special teams have operated these last four years. Um, so I, I don't like it. It's, it does seem to be like the, the, it is hard to quibble with the way Fitz has, built and influenced the, the the overall program at Northwestern, the facilities, the um, attention and commitment and support from the higher ups at the university. The, the recruiting has been dynamite. He's a fantastic recruiter. He's a great face for the program when things are going well, but this, the development of his staff has clearly been a blind spot and an area of, of failure. Yeah. And I think, and to, to, to kind of the, the final note on this, right. Is the like the whole idea of off changes at offensive and defensive coordinator, that's almost secondary at this point that has to happen. And then we're going to look and see who he hires to replace those positions. Like, that's the thing. It's like, it's, this is kind of like the shot. You've got to make some drastic changes here. You got to find some brilliant young minds. You got to find your Ryan Walters. I mean, again, that's the absolute home run of home run hires that again happened to happen in the same state at the exact same time we hired Jim O'Neill. Um, but you've got to find these young these young minds or these guys with real track records of getting it done at the college level who understand the game. It's got to be one of the two, right? You either have to find a proven record of proven track record of success. Or you've got to find a young ingenue who's like ready to make things happen and ready to break out, right? But there is no option C. And regardless, I mean, Fitz has to get these hires right. And again, I know we're jumping ahead, but I think, again, everyone gets it. There are going to be changes, and then Fitz has to get the hires right on the back end. So, I mean, it's like, to everything Scuzz is saying, it's like, this is... It's a huge moment for someone who doesn't have a fantastic track record in this regard. And he's he's going to have to find it. Like the future, the immediate future of Northwestern football most likely is going to depend on it. 
I do want to move on. Um, you know, Northwestern is off this week, you know, so we'll have a whole other week to to see if anything happens, which if we're all being honest, we won't. Like nothing is going to happen this week. Nothing's going like I would be, you know, shocked. I, I would I I would I, I would I wouldn't be shocked. No, I'm, I mean, not gonna, I'm not going to I'm not we're not, recording this on Monday night and you know yeah. already ch- some changes have been made elsewhere around the country. Right. Yeah, so so I like his 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 press conference is typically Tuesday morning. I am not counting any chickens. Yeah, I agree. But if a change were made, I would not be surprised at all. If it's going to happen, now is now would be the time. You're going into the bye week. You've got a couple weeks to, you know, get a new voice in, you know, in in there but like sam we sam we've already recorded this pod so we can practically guarantee it's going to happen the moment we we stop recording this pod right yeah no that, that's, a, that's a good point that's a good point um but in any case let's you know kind of leave the northwestern conversation aside quickly run through um the rest of the conference as far as like what's coming up this week which there's some really really interesting games uh, coming up this week, you know, leading off with the uh, Penn State Michigan game. Um, maybe, maybe before we do that briefly, just yeah, a reminder for those sure. who have have blocked it out of their minds, um, uh, it is a bye week for Northwestern. <laughs> <laughs> Blissfully, that's the other reason that you know, like um, a uh, you know a, a change this week would would make a lot of sense. Um, but so yeah, so we're not going to talk about Maryland. That's you know next week's pod, right? Um, yeah. And still, I'm I'm not holding my breath for any for any changes. Yeah, personally, we should. Uh, but we in shall any see. case, yeah. In any case, we got Penn State at Michigan uh, this weekend. Um, big noon Saturday uh, coming up in the big house. That's gonna be fun. Michigan's a six and a half point favorite. Uh, what do you guys think? I don't think it's gonna be very fun for Penn Is State. Is it gonna rain? Probably not. No. <laughs> What's, what's the weather look like? Is it going to pour rain? Um, at, at this point, partly cloudy, high of 52. Yeah. So I think you've – the again, I mean, I I, rem- I I think we can all more comfortably say now – I mean, we, we didn't exactly shy away from it on last week's pod, but we said that the, the weather and the resulting decision-making from Penn State had a lot to do. So, I mean, if it's under blue skies, I mean, Penn State still has two great backs that they can unleash – Michigan's run D is, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's, we'll, I think we'll kind of see, but yeah, on, I don't know. I mean, honestly, like at, I think mostly I want to see if we, I want to see peak Penn State and peak Michigan in this game. I think peak Michigan with JJ McCarthy is better, um, to be sure. And I think they really have a, a chance, you know, sometimes Penn State again falls asleep on run D and Blake Corum could could go off in that game but again i think what i'd love to see is a classic fall throwback penn state game where you've got like two backs just singleton and quorum just go off in this game and are just dueling that would be cool so i want to i want to i want to i want to be get a little steady here for a second please rush yards allowed penn state year to date 79.8 michigan year to date 81.7 Penn State has played at Purdue, Ohio, at Auburn, CMU, Northwestern. Michigan has played Hawaii, Connecticut, Maryland, at Iowa, at IU. Yeah, we. I think the Michigan number is more impressive, Frank. Because of Iowa, the pretty much because of Iowa. I mean, they're they're both again. They're they. I think Michigan's the better team. 
But I think Penn State, partly buoyed by some of this infusion of young talent that they've got going. Um, and also, Adis Isaac and P.J. Mustafer were hurt for a huge... I don't think Isaac played at all last year, and Mustafer was hurt for a ton of the year. They have both of those guys right now. So you're getting, you know, as long as James Franklin doesn't screw it up, you're getting pretty close to peak Penn State right now. So M- M- Michigan also gives up 100 fewer pass yards per mm-hmm. game to those five yeah, teams. Yeah, I can wow. for sure see Sean Clifford losing this one. I, but again, like there's... Both of these teams have a chance to absolutely show up. I just – Penn State literally hasn't played anyone. I mean, like, I'm sorry. Auburn is – Auburn's garbage. Iowa has no offense, yes, but the combination of IU, Iowa, and Maryland for Michigan is infinitely better than any single team that – I think that the Penn State Nittany no, Lions I think played. they've played one pretty great team, and that's Purdue to open the season. I think Purdue is a team <laughs> that's way better than their record. <laughs> I think those two teams are probably pretty close. Um, but, you know, I think Michigan will probably win, but I think this could it could be a legit great game. Uh, you got Minnesota at Illinois. I am shocked by this line. Minnesota, a six-and-a-half-point road favorite against the number one defense in the country. The over-under is 38. So they're not expecting a lot of points, but uh, Minnesota's really a six and a half point road favorite. Well, so the interesting thing about Illinois' last game is that Arthur Sikowski played. Mm-hmm. True. Now I don't know if that's because um, Devito went down. I think he I got. I think he might have gotten hurt. Yeah. I haven't. I haven't dug into that. Yeah. Uh, Devito reaggravated an ankle injury in the first quarter, so. Like that, what the, like if Artur Sikowski is starting at quarterback in this game, then then that line and and Mo uh, Ibrahim is playing, then that that line makes sense to me. But um, or Ibr- I Ibrahim, 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 either Ibrahim or Ibrahim, Ibrahim. He's really good. That's the important thing. Yes, I, he's really good. And uh, like, but this 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 is the game that I that I I think this is going to be much a much better slash more interesting game than. Uh, at least maybe in my sicko's big West uh, brain. I mean, I mean, if <laughs> the Michigan Penn state, if game. Ibrahim's back, you know, Minnesota's they've had that extra week, right? They've been licking their wounds. They didn't play yep. last yep, week. They had last if week they off. get him back, I mean, again, it's, it was kind of shocking, but I guess not too shocking considering how good he is that he kind of makes their battle station go. But this is, I think it's like two of the, it's like with <laughs> Illinois played, one of the, it was one of the it was like two of the three best defenses in the country last week when Illinois and Iowa played and now it's going to be the exact same thing again like Minnesota Iowa and Illinois are three of the top 5 scoring defenses in the country all of whom we we still have to play by the way yeah um, the the what the one interesting thing about Minnesota though and this is like we've only seen one game of it right so now mm-hmm. this will be the second time we get to against see a it great D, is that right Against a great D, can they control time exactly. of possession? I mean, they've been you, you coined them as time lords in the preseason uh, preview, and that's just a perfect manifestation of what they try to be. Can their defense perform when it has to be on the field for 30 minutes a game? Um, that's and so like that that's a giant question. Without Devito, though, I I, I don't know. We'll see. It's gonna be yeah. interesting. And I mean, with all the talk about Ibrahim, like Chase Brown's like the leading rusher in the nation. Like, yeah, Chase. Oh, Chase Brown's fantastic. Yeah. I like I. I don't think Minnesota is going to be able to contain him much like they, they couldn't stop Purdue, but we'll see. At uh, two thirty central on ESPN two Maryland at Indiana. I mean, worth 
kind of keeping an eye on as as we scout Maryland for uh, the week after. But uh, Maryland is an 11-point favorite with the uh, over-under of 61. I mean, what did you say they are? 11.5-point favorite? 11, yeah. I mean, I for me, the most the most obvious scenario here is that, like, that 61 sounds about right. I think Maryland gets the vast majority of those points. Um, Indiana is a team that is fortunate to be 3-3 three and three right now, starting off with that, what in hindsight looks like a miracle win over Illinois. Um, and... Oh, it was a miracle win at yeah. the time because, like, like, the, like, the officials turned over incorrectly an Illinois touchdown right. that would have. So, I mean, Indiana's not too far off from the situation we're in right now. They're definitely a better football team than we are right now, but they're kind of three and three by hook or by crook right now. And Maryland is. I mean, Maryland's. I think they that Purdue game. There, that's just again. Those are two good football teams, and I think you're. You're probably going to see what we're what we've got coming down the pike in a week and a half when uh, you see this Maryland Indiana game. Uh, we got Wisconsin at Michigan State. Uh, Wisconsin is seven and a half point favorite. Over under is forty eight and a half. Oh, Michigan State. Whew. Yeah, this was this is going to be a bloodbath. Probably, I think everyone in Wisconsin is going to be looking to see for that confirmation, right? To be like, was this forty two seven? Because we didn't even really talk about this. If you're a Wisconsin fan, this one wasn't all that fun um, because you were expecting a win. And yeah, you covered, but they lost Keanu Benton in this game. They lost their cornerback to that horrible injury. Poor guy where he was down forever. They had to bring the card out. You know, at least he sat up. Um, I think they lost somebody else too. Like, I mean, they they were going down. And I think they're, you know, hoping the guys can get back. Although the, the Benton thing did not look good. But they're looking for some confirmation, right? To say like, okay, like we know Michigan state's not good. Can we keep it going and keep riding the ship here? And I, Scuzz is probably right. They probably will. And then under the lights, you got Nebraska at Purdue, Purdue, a 13 and a half point favorite uh, over under is 58 and a half. Yeah, that sounds about right to me. Like I think, you know, I think I would take Purdue. I mean, Scuzz has done a good job of, Oh, no way. In oh, hell. so Scuzz, I was literally about to say, not by, not by two touchdowns. I was literally about to say, Scuzz has been the main beater of the drum for there is a lot of talent on this Nebraska team that has been unencumbered by the Scott Frost experience. I believe that. They've also been quite bad against two bad teams their last two games. They just happen to have won those games. Um Purdue represents a huge step up in caliber from the last two teams Nebraska has played. Um, and I mean, it's like maybe I'm just being maybe I'm just being obstinate. I just don't see Purdue as that as that good. I don't they've know. Just, like they've it, traded what, haymakers here, here, with a here, lot of good teams. That's the big thing here. Yeah, true. I just like. I mean, I like if if you believe that Penn State is good, then Purdue almost beat them week one. I don't believe that. Um, I think I think Penn State's gotten a lot better as Nick as they found Nick Singleton uh, throughout the course of the year. Um, I mean, here's the interesting thing about Purdue. Like, remember remember when Nebraska was like unwilling to run it down our throats, right? I think they should try to run it down Purdue's throat and see what happens. Um, Cause I don't think Purdue's really been tested in that way. Like, like Mar- Maryland wasn't going to do it. Um, I, I should point out though, they, they, 
Purdue's own Purdue's got two losses to Penn State barely and to Syracuse barely. Syracuse is five and zero and ranked eighteenth in the country right now. I know they they might they might be they might be great. It's just really hard for me to reconcile <laughs> yeah. that with. And we know and we we <laughs> know Jeff Brome is a great right. coach, right? So let, let's start there. We know Aiden O'Connell is a, a a very good QB. It is just very hard for for me to square what we know. Like they lost George Karloftis, who, by the way, if you're not watching the NFL, is yes. awesome He's in good the at NFL football. as we thought he yeah. would be. Um, they lost their best player on defense. There was not a lot coming back. The coordinator turned over. Like it, like it, it just didn't look like a dynamite defense. And I just wonder if if they've been able to masquerade a little bit through the first six games of the year. Maybe. I, um, I mean, my counterpoint is so, there. I mean, right now that's a team that's four and two that's saying we could be six and zero, oh, and we still have Nebraska, Wisconsin, Iowa, Northwestern, and Indiana on our schedule. Yeah. You know, like there. And, and and let me be clear. I think Purdue has has the the pieces in the passing game to. I mean, o- O'Connell to start with, right? I, they should be able to beat Nebraska. I just like two touchdowns. I feel like Nebraska is going to be able to muck it up. I feel like they're going to be able to run the ball. I don't we'll know. See. We'll see. I got to say, it's a nice weekend not to have a Northwestern game because there's some fun, fun games on paper uh, nationally, at least. You know, uh, you got Kansas, Oklahoma, which, you know, is interesting Ooh. insofar as that, as, you know, as we coming look off as we loss, but as we say been a tire as, we, fire. as we say every year Kansas Oklahoma that should be a slaughter that's it's what we it's what we say every year it's going to be the same this year Oklahoma hadn't lost three games in a row in I think 24 years and now they have to beat this surging Kansas team to avoid losing a fourth in a row and uh, like a surging Kansas team that despite their QB getting dinged up last game was able to, 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 to carry on this. I think that's, the, that's the case. Um, but still lost in a, like a barn burner against TCU. They're going to be, angry. I mean, Kansas angry. is, I mean, they're, they're not like a national tighter title contender or anything. They have a sweet offense that Oklahoma won't stop once in this game. Like that's where we're headed. Like I, yeah, I, I J, Jalen Daniels' health yeah. is is definitely yeah. in question though. That's yeah. gonna now. Jason Bean came in as the backup QB and like still threw for four TDs. Um, so you know they might like Kansas is legit good. They are legit good. Whether whether they're good enough to win in Norman against this um, wounded, wounded and dying Oklahoma team, I don't know. We'll find out. But it'll be fun. Um, Alabama Tennessee is going to be a, just a slugfest. That's going to be great. Yeah, we'll see. The Bryce Young question, of course, is huge. Alabama by yeah. by the skin of their teeth, boy. Wow, they uh, they somehow got away with that one. But that'll be uh, that'll be an exciting game for sure. I mean, I you know I feel I almost feel bad because I'm like Tennessee is so jacked up for this game, and I'm almost like with everything that's happened with Alabama, what if I'll you know, Alabama gets Bryce Young back and just cooks them. I don't think that's what any of us want to see, but let's see Tennessee, you know? Uh, yeah, that's, I'll be honest. That's what I'm, <laughs> yeah. un, until yeah. proven otherwise, that's yeah. what I'm expecting. This is, this is the moment where I remind everybody that Tennessee needed overtime to win at right. Pitt in the second week of right. the season. Um, and they smoked LSU last week. LSU is not, not good. So, um, this, this is your classic, like Alabama's coming off a game where they looked vulnerable 
and granted have looked vulnerable a couple different times this year. Um, and Tennessee's coming off this massive win. And um, I think we generally know how this story goes in college football. Yeah, that's true. Um, you, you get, you know, put fresh batteries in your remote so you can go back and forth between Oklahoma state TCU happening at the same time on ABC and NC state Another, Syracuse <laughs> and NC state Syracuse. I mean, if you get the ACC right. network, yeah, which is awesome. annoying, but what a, uh, what a great move. Yeah. Ooh. What a great in, in Chicago though. It, it is available on Comcast yeah, now, well. um, in the Chicago land area, but, uh, still that, you know, three games, you know, between two ranked teams, um, with a combined one loss, yeah. uh, between all, all those six teams, that that's just good times. Um, you know, even getting on a little bit later in the day, uh, you know, LSU, Florida, it's not two marquee teams, but, uh, that is always uh, a fun one, at least, um, you know, Clemson, Florida state, uh, Clemson's only a three and a half point favorite, uh, at Florida state. That's amazing. To uh, me. Mississippi state, Mississippi state, Kentucky is going to be a, an interesting one. I think. USC Utah, you know. Is, yeah, these is are all USC. I mean, USC's, USC's still seems, kind of seems like wait, waiting for their yeah real first real heavy test, and maybe Utah will finally give it to them. It's a good week to have a buy. Yeah, a lot of yeah. good stuff. Utah has to go from losing at UCLA to to. Are they hosting you? Yeah, USC? It's, it's in Utah. Yeah. Okay. All right. That, yeah, that's I, a different. I'll, hi- different, I'll uh, highlight one more game just because it dovetails with something we were going up, going back and forth on Twitter. Is it North Carolina nope. Duke? It's Stanford at Notre Dame. Uh, oh, boy. Because, yep. <laughs> so for anyone who's not aware and wasn't part of this Twitter conversation, Stanford's last four, last five years are so eerily similar to Northwestern's last five years. And they are the same type of program in the same type of coaching situation, having the exact same types of discussions that Northwestern is having. It is crazy. You can even go through and be like, five years ago or in 2018, Stanford won nine games. The next year, we won nine games the same year. The next year, we went three and nine. They went four and eight. The next year was the COVID season. You know that the COVID season affected the Pac-12 much more than it affected the Big Ten. We went seven and two that year. Stanford played a much more abbreviated schedule, but went four and two. The year after, both teams went three and nine, and the year after that, both teams currently have one win. So, sitting in the exact same place right now, and Stanford's taking the exact same milieu into uh, into Notre Dame uh, at the night game with with low expectations, to say the least. All right. Well. Um... I, I think we should leave it there unless you guys have anything else to add. Uh, maybe we'll come back next week with a little bit of a men's and women's hoops uh, check-in. You know, ob- Obviously, women's soccer is playing great field hockey, is playing phenomenal, um, you know, top of the country. You know, field hockey has just been really, really cool. Uh, cross country is, is having a really good season. So, I mean, there's – the non-rev sports. Volleyball. Should, you got to shout out volleyball, too. Absolutely. Volleyball, yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe next week we'll go a little bit deeper on them, you know, with this football game, you know, a little bit, you know, more in our rearview mirror. Uh, we'll spend a little time talking about some of the other sports going on at Northwestern because there is really a lot of positives to talk about there. 
men's basketball is accepted, of course, because that's just a whole other story. But in any yeah, case, re- um, re- yeah. real, real quick, like not, we don't want to wait too long on this. Like um, it's not a ranked opponent, but Northwestern women's soccer is going to Michigan on Thursday. Um, this game will be on Big Ten Plus if anybody has that. But uh, be paying attention to Twitter. Be t- paying attention to our feed um, at Michigan on Thursday evening. That's 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 pretty big for a team that uh, is is has not lost in conference yeah. play. Big win and Friday night against got Wisconsin. They've one tie against – yep, they've got one tie against uh, against Rutgers, who's ranked number 10 in the country right now, and uh, they've beaten everybody else. So they've got Michigan on Thursday, Michigan State at home on Sunday, and then uh, Iowa the following weekend uh, – or following Thursday and Ohio State the following Sunday. So finishing with um, – you know, that there, there's a shot here that they could uh, – win out or finish the season undefeated in conference um, and set themselves up really nicely for the pro season play. So uh, jump aboard that bandwagon if you are so inclined. Um, any other last thoughts before we get out of here? One little positive thing, this goes all the way back to last Wednesday night, Isaiah Bowser doing great things at UCF. God love him. Um, he had three touchdowns on the ground, which were his 15th, 16th and 17th career touchdowns at UCF. Um, which is just incredible. Um, and I think, again, going back to Twitter, we mentioned it on Twitter that when he left, we were just happy that he found a new home, right? We didn't know where he was going to end up. We were like, this is great. Give him some carries. Let him ride off into the sunset. God love him. Let's, hopefully he's finally healthy. He can finally get into a good place and tie a fitting ribbon on his career. And he's just gone off at UCF. He's been their bell cow. He's been their ground and pound guy. He is the guy who offsets all the speed they're bringing at other positions. And it's just when in doubt, they can plow with him and they do. Um, and they're having great success with it. And we're just, again, just so happy for him. So happy to see that he's been able to write this surprising and uh, amazing postscript to his time at NU. Oh, well, with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at westlawpirates, and email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics, and look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasby, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.